What is up, everybody? It is Press X to Start Podcast, and we are back with a review. I know it's been a long time, but we saved this occasion for a monumental moment. We are here to review Black Panther Wakanda Forever. I'm your host, your heavyweight champion from Wish Nigga California, aka the janitor because we watch niggas, Marcus Ellison. And joining me today is Avery. Yeah. yeah. We're here. <laughs> Our Wakandan expert. <laughs> the, the only one of us that could actually claim Wakanda. Yes. Like directly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But um, it's been a while since we've done a review format. So uh, I kind of admittedly am a little rusty. But what I do want to do is I want to... First, lay it out as we're going to have maybe maybe a 10 to 15 minute conversation without spoilers. So we're going to talk about what we liked about the movie, what we might have not liked about the movie, but keep it as spoiler free as possible. And then we're going to give you all a chance for those of you that haven't seen it yet that are watching this to jump off. And then we're just going to let all the spoilers fly because there is some stuff to unpack in this movie um, and stuff that none of the promotional material told you about. So, yeah, for starters, let's go into what we liked about the movie. Ever, do you want to go or should I just like uh, you? You go first, because I, I really want to have this dialogue because you've heard my thoughts, or at least my mm-hmm. my my uh, post movies uh, musings afterwards. But I haven't heard exactly yeah. how you feel about this movie. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I personally feel like this movie is better than uh, Black Panther 1. And I think that it is a thematically perfect film. That is a sentiment I 100% agree on. 100%. Yeah. I also want to make the caveat that I am probably, amongst the people you will talk to, with my skin complexion, one of the lowest on Black Panther one. Mm-hmm. And that's only because I really don't like its third act. Right. Yeah. But I think the movie is like a 99 that could have mm-hmm. been like 150 if the third act was anything more than two CGI people fighting in the dark with the exact same power set. Yeah, no, I, I feel you. I think I think that's a, a pretty universal sentiment, even for people who are super high on the movie, is it has a third act problem. Um And I think that this movie does a great job at expanding on what worked um, about the first movie while also still addressing the giant elephant in the room. But also it sidesteps certain things that didn't work in the first movie. Um, 
just going back to the fact that it's, I think, a thematically perfect movie, I think that the way that it explores the themes of grief, legacy, and colonialism in this movie with such- And vengeance. And vengeance, yes. Like in, in that thing, when you're talking about thematics, like this movie, more so than any Marvel movie, really feels like a thematic sequel to its previous entries. Yeah. Su- such as Black Panther's appearance in Civil War, and then his own movie, and then going forward in there. Like, I, I will argue to the cows go home about how the Captain America franchise is the best comic book movie trilogy of all time, just in terms of that. But there are emotional themes that differ between each movie that each sequel doesn't really call back to beyond just be like a, a moment of nostalgia where Black Panther does that, but each callback feeds into its thematic nature. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that um, this movie has so many parallels to every entry, like you said, of uh, Black Panther and the MCU, which is what allows it to feel like such a powerful and well-crafted tribute to Chadwick and T'Challa as well. And I think that like, as I was saying, like the way that it explores its themes with such grace and intent really is special. Like every choice in this movie from the central characters has weight to it. And it feels like there's stakes throughout. And I know that there is like this talking point of a lack of stakes in some of the Marvel movies. And it's something that is worth talking about. But I think the way that people view stakes a lot of the times is like is someone dying right exact world ending yeah. stakes rather than you can have personal stakes without it being earth shattering there's still stakes regardless kind of like what um jennifer walter said uh at the end of she hawk where she was like these are my stakes you know yeah. and so i think there's always stakes but this movie particularly had really really amazing intention and depth to them uh another thing i really liked about the movie is I think that it's gorgeous. Like, I think from a cinematography standpoint, it's, and even from a, even from a visual standpoint, I think too, I think that it's- I will say- Go ahead. I, I will say from a cinematography standpoint and an art direction standpoint, it is gorgeous. However, it does sometimes suffer from our visual effects aren't the best. And I can't tell if that is like bad CGI or some parts or just like interesting design choices that happen. But I agree with you for the most part. Yeah, I think it I think it might be more of a design choice thing, because I think that like there were really, if any, maybe a couple of moments in this movie where I noticed the VFX like in a in a blatant way which I couldn't say for Black Panther 1, where it was like obvious where the VFX were, whereas like obviously you know that like the people from Talokan are, there's VFX to their look, but it felt a lot more uh, seamless. And in, in the wake of a lot of complaints with phase four visuals, I think that this is probably the best looking Marvel movie since Eternals, I feel like. Yeah, I agree on that. Yeah. And speaking of the visuals, I think that the worlds that we uh, got introduced to, the way that they expanded upon Wakanda, but also introduced us to Talokan, like the sections 
under the water where, you know, we were seeing this amazing place and they were playing Blitzball and everything. It was, yeah. it was. Like, yeah, well, they're playing uh, that, that sport from the Road to El Dorado. I forgot yeah, yeah, yeah. they were playing <laughs> Mayan Blitzball. <laughs> yeah, but no, uh, I, I thank you with text uh, that exemplifies what you're talking about right now. Uh, I think uh, my exact words were, everything about the cultural design of the Atlanteans with air quotes is so good. Mm-hmm. If more people put this much care into diversity, I'd never complain about a casting choice ever. And this comes for one of the big things I want to talk about, Namor or Namor, mm-hmm. depending on how you want to pronounce it. I'm always going to give you a question mark when a uh, classically white character is casting with a person of color. Not because I don't believe in diversity, but I don't believe that the people doing this casting are going to put in the work to make this feel like a diverse casting choice and not just a, a checkmark of diversity. Mm. Anyone who knows me knows I complain to the cows go home about Aquaman. Because Aquaman was exemplary of how I had just core issues with like diverse casting and not doing the work required. You have James yeah. Momoa, a very Samoan-looking dude, cast as the classically white Arthur Curry. Instead mm-hmm. of making the brave choice and say, okay, let's change Atlantis as a culture around this character, they went the really safe route of saying, no, it's going to be the recognizable Atlantis, and he's just going to have a fucking Samoan dad, like super mild Samoan dad, who lives in Maine. Like, right. So it's one of those things that just doesn't make sense to me. Well, then you hear with Black Panther, and you've got uh, Tenoch Huerta, I believe, I hope I, I, hope I pronounced your, your name right, where he's a very Mexican dude, mm-hmm. and they went full whole hog Mesopotamian, like, ass-taking Mayan cultural representation on every aspect of Atlantis to, like, the chef's kiss of him being called Namor, because it, like, in Spanish, it means, like, uh, child without, without love. Uh, child without love. It's just yeah. like, oh, yeah. Oh, that is fucking. Oh, let's let's talk about Namor before we get yeah. into Ryan Coogler should just be getting a, uh, an office at Marvel. Yeah, because he's two for two of creating two of the best villains that the Marvel universe has had. He's up there with the Russo brothers, who made Zemo a fantastic villain mm-hmm. and effectively made Thanos a effective villain. He's up there with them, and like I adore Namor. The minute when he comes out of the water, and like I, I saw all the trailers, and there's that one where uh, Mbaku was like, they call him Kukukan, and it's like the the flying the f- serpent god. And yep. I'm like, I'm like, why do they call him a serpent god? And then like when he gets out of the water, and his a- ankle wings make a rattlesnake sound. I yep. lost my shit. <laughs> yep. Oh my goodness. It is a feat in and of itself that they took a guy. If you read the comics, you know that Namor's a threat. Like yeah. he is a even F even F tier Marvel character, but in the consciousness of popular culture, he would be C list, like a lot of the older Marvel characters, like an Iron Man at the time. Absolutely. So if you're initiated, you know that Namor's a threat. But the fact that Kugler and company were able to take a guy where you look at him and he's got feathers on his wings and he's just standing there flapping and he was able, they were able to make him look like a menace. Like at every point, that man was a threat. I love the way that in the beginning, when we first see uh, um, the Atlantean show up, it almost paralleled. The first time we see uh, T'Challa show up in the Black Panther suit in the jungle where, yeah, the, yeah, the vision is obscured and they don't know what's going on. 
It was so effective. I mean, that that sequence is a horror sequence. Yes, straight up. And, you know, you know, shout out. Shout out to Leg Bell. <laughs> Dude, uh, we'll talk about that when we get the later yeah. stuff. Because I, I, I have words about the Lake Bell casting choice. But yeah, it's like uh, the, uh, the Telecon, the, the people from Telecon and mm-hmm. Namor are so like visually interesting and visually fantastic. And while there is a little bit of like, I turn your brain off with this, I love the motivations behind everything that they're doing. And I love how Namor is 100% the villain of this movie. But just like Killmonger, you like, I understand to a certain extent where you're coming from. I just don't think we should be doing this. Honestly, like, uh, without dipping into spoilers, I honestly feel like his motivations are even more righteous than Killmonger's. I think that, like... Yeah, Killmonger's were very Killmonger's were very selfish thing. His own right. personal, like, rage and anger guiding it. It's one of those reasons why I like Namor, and I think they did such a good job with his character, is because, yeah, to your point, it, his motivations and, res, and uh, resolutions are so... They make more sense, they're more understandable, that it makes it, makes it easier... Like, there's no world where you can redeem Eric Killmonger. Eric Killmonger. Killmonger. Yeah, yeah. You can't redeem that character. <laughs> there is a world where Namor can be in a room with the Avengers, and I'm not sitting there going like, didn't you uh, murder <laughs> people? Yeah, because, you know, Killmonger was a self-appointed revolutionary. You know, he, he, w- he spoke a good game, and he said a lot of things where he's like, he's out of line, but he's right. But when it came down to it, it was ultimately a power play. Whereas with Namor, they spend a lot of time in the movie even showing you what he has to protect, why this is important to him. And just going back to the theme of colonialism, the fact that they're even fighting is not really because the two of them wanted to fight. Like the war started because of the UN. And yeah. Well, okay, yeah. So we're starting to get into spoiler territory now. And I think we've spent a good 15 or so minutes in the podcast. I think we should, we're going to open up the floodgates so we can actually talk story points and discuss like actual character motivations and other things like that. Uh, So if you haven't seen Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, uh, we apologize. But this is a conversation I've been waiting to have since I saw the movie on a Friday afternoon. It was like, I need to get to the nitty gritty of these story bits. But like, yeah. before we jump into that, I am a sound mind with every not, 99% of what Marcus has said here. It's a beautiful movie. It's my favorite movie of this phase. It is the best movie of this phase. It mm-hmm. is a beautiful movie that has no right to be as good as it is. I'm of the mindset that it is a better product than the original Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a better film, actually is something I would love to have a deeper conversation about the individual film things and narrative situations like that. Because when we get into like spoiler sensory, there are like actual plot knocks I kind of have with it now that I've had so much time to sit with it and think about it. But yeah, we're in spoiler territory right now. Yeah. So here is your, uh, your moment to vacate the premises. All right. Spoilers. Let's go. So, how do you feel about re- how not, how do you feel about Letitia Wright's Shuri being the new Black Panther? I thought that Letitia Wright might have been in a in a movie where Angela Bassett turned in a fucking chef's kiss of a performance. Like she was 
every bit as phenomenal as you'd expect her to be. She was amazing. And a movie where uh, Tanuk Huerta gave a star-making performance as Namor. For me personally, I felt like Shuri was my highlight because I loved the journey she went on in this movie. I thought that she really stepped up. Like, whether or not, I don't know, I feel like a lot of the the stuff surrounding her personal life was either taken out of context or things that we don't fully know. I don't know what her stance is on vaccinations and whatnot, but it doesn't matter. In this case, I knew that Letitia Wright was a at least solid actor. She had good screen presence. She was very funny as Shuri, but she had a almost impossible task to step up to. And I think she crushed it. I think she was fantastic in the movie. And I think that yeah. they did a good job of justifying her taking the mantle because what I was worried about was that it was going to be easier for her to do it. Like, I thought that, you know, when she took the um, when she took the heart shaped herb, I thought she was going to get a vision quest moment and she was actually going to see the ancestors and all that. And I'm like, I don't know if that tracks for her. And so when they went the route, they did go with it. I'm like, OK, we'll get you. We'll, we'll get you in a second. Yeah, I agree 100 percent with her because like the, the conversation I've been having was based on I didn't like her in the last movie, whatever. Uh, if they're going to make a new Black Panther, it should be X character, Y character. And I'm like, I'm just sitting here thinking of the narrative that they're crafting. And like, the only thing that makes sense is for Shuri to be the new Black Panther. Will they be able to accomplish that task? Because what I don't want is I don't want another Steve Rogers passing the shield to the Falcon when his entire movie's arc has been about the redemption of Bucky and Bucky's uh, finding solace in who he is. I, I didn't want that situation where we had, okay, we need another, we need a six episode series to justify this decision we made at the end of this movie. So like I'm watching this and I'm like, yes, star performance. I, I always liked Letitia Wright as an actress. I think ignoring all the personal stuff going on around her. I, I, I loved her appearances in the Black Panther franchise. I loved her relationship with her brother. And from scene one, when she is like in full on, oh, my brother is dead and I'm definitely yeah. dying. I'm definitely trying to save him. And she takes that journey going further there's like there's rarely a time where i don't believe she's 100 in the moment of this acting and like this is the correct acting choice that needs to be made there are some choices i'm like okay this is a weird choice i kind of understand but i kind of don't but for the most part her arc works perfectly now to get to what you were talking about with the the vision quest now everyone who knows me on this podcast within our slack knows that i talk to the streets so <laughs> i know the plots of all these marvel movies before mm -hmm. that happened. So mm -hmm. I'm never surprised for the most part by any decisions I see. So I knew that when she took the herb, it, she would be seeing Killmonger. Mm -hmm. But what I was pleasantly surprised by is the conversation that the two of them had. Yes. Where it's clear that the spiritual incarnation of Eric Killmonger has learned nothing. <laughs> he, is still, <laughs> he is still that essential villain from the last movie. And he essentially feeds off okay so when she takes the earth like shuri's arc is so good but mm -hmm. it's clear in the beginning of the movie that she's filled with so much rage yes that and anger at everything that happened to her brother and all the situation so when she takes the herb 
post the death of her mother. She only decides that we need a Black Panther after Namor ransacks Wakanda. So it's like, we yeah. need the Black Panther. So she takes it out of anger and rage. And that doesn't summon her father. It doesn't give us our, let's use Star Wars technology to bring uh, Chadwick Boseman into this movie. Or even her mother, who's actually in the film. No, it brings yeah. her Killmonger, who Killmonger's like, I, I know why I was brought here. And you, he's, Michael Jordan's so good. Oh, yeah. Just seeing him in that moment made me so happy because you could tell he loves playing Killmonger and he's so good at it. But the thing that I loved the most about one, her conjuring him, but also the conversation that they had is they actually telegraphed her seeing Killmonger in the very beginning where she was talking to her mom uh, and they were going to burn the... uh, the funeral garments and yeah, and sure, sure I was like the world exactly that's what that's the anger I'm talking about yeah and I'm like burn the world like Killmonger wanted to do bet and I love the fact that like during that conversation because yes on a macro level Killmonger in the spirit realm clearly has learned nothing because he's still very spiteful and and very angry but even in the conversation there's nuances where like He's talking about like he brings up Ramonda or she brings up Ramonda and he's like, don't take that away from your mother. She saved this kid. She saved this kid that your nation wouldn't have given a shit about beforehand. She did that. And then like even talking about the Chala, he the only thing he said about him was he was too noble. And so he's like, are you going to be noble like your brother? Are you going to take care of business like me? And I loved that line. Which is very interesting with her costume. It's very much an homage to Killmonger and not yep. her brothers. Yep. When she picked up that gold accented uh, mask, I was like, oh, shit. And then even when she took off the mask and her hair looked low key like Killmonger's at the end of the first movie, I was like, oh, shit. OK, this is where we're going. But yeah, I think that that was a really inspired choice by um, Coogler and uh, Joe Robert Cole to like go down that route because this movie also takes place a lot in the stages of grief. And so she had to go through this. And I, I, th- I remember you were going to bring up, uh, or you, you started to bring up Riri Williams for a moment. Yes. And yeah, I think that like Riri in this movie is a perfect parallel to the whole point of Killmonger in the first movie where Killmonger showed up to shake up Wakanda because they have been isolated for way too long. And he made a point. Riri would not have been able to show up in Wakanda in the first movie. They would have not given a shit about her getting killed out there. It wouldn't have mattered because she's not one of them. And so to see Riri actually be in Wakanda now, like uh, of the Lost Tribe actually there, I think was a really well done kind of uh 180 and it to me even if i didn't like the character i did like the character but even if i didn't like the character i feel like it would have just that moment or that theme alone and what it means justifies her appearance in the movie far more than any like setup for the show okay so let's talk about riri because yeah she's a controversial part of this movie and i pretty much agree with most of the controversy in regards to liking her i think when she first shows up in the film like for the first couple of acts, 
for the first couple of scenes she's in, I really like her character. Like from a comic book standpoint, I really don't like the Riri Williams character. Mm-hmm. She's one of those characters where like I don't know where you fit in in the Marvel universe. Mm-hmm. As like you're Iron Man's successor, except you're not an Iron Man character. And there's all this other stuff going on around her that I just kind of don't like. I like when she's hanging out with all the young heroes, when she's hanging out with Miles and Kamala and all those. She feels like she has a point and matters. But like in the grand scheme of Marvel Universe, like I, she, she doesn't really make sense to me. So mm-hmm. beginning when they started this film, I'm like, oh, she works. She, she, it's really interesting and it works for me. Uh, but then she sort of becomes the, the, for lack of a better term, the black comic relief of this movie. <laughs> Like the, <laughs> like, oh man, we took this black dude to the desert. He's overreacting to everything that's going on around him. And I'm like, that kind of takes me out of her. And I'm not sure how I feel about her being in this movie as an Iron Man analog mm-hmm. without actually dealing with what that means. Well, I think in, I'll, I'll address two things. On one hand, I do, I feel what you're saying in terms of like, at a certain point, she becomes almost like a not even an audience anagram because by this point we're kind of accustomed to Wakanda but like yeah she does become like a a reactionary character and the only reason that didn't bother me is contextually it makes absolute sense that she's reacting to all of this the way that she is because like even though she does exist in the MCU she's still like where is she from Detroit or uh Chicago Okay, well, she, yeah, she's a, she's a young black woman from Chicago. She ain't never been to Wakanda. Like, this is all ridiculous to her. And then she's seeing uh, uh, people from underwater popping up trying to kill her. Like, all of this makes sense as to being insane to her. So I can understand from, like, a movie trope standpoint how she could kind of be annoying to, to people. But, like, contextually, I think it makes perfect sense why she's reacting to things like this. As far as... Um, her being a Iron Man uh, substitute, the way that I feel about it is going to depend on how they approach it in the show. Uh, I think that so far, the only thing that she's done that's, you know, Iron Man-esque is obviously build the suit, but I'm willing to let that be just an aspect of her being a tinkerer. And like, because... We see her first suit and it's definitely like a I pulled this together from scrap parts. But the reason why her inspired by Iron Man, she had an arc reactor at the center of the suit. That's my that's my thing with the character and the Iron Man aspect of it, which I really wanted them to address. But they never really did, Mm -hmm. even though they pointed out in the film when like a cop walks in the room and says, oh, shit, he's got an Iron Man suit. So like they're acknowledging what they're going for. I just needed more context of it because it just seems like weird for this if in like. In a world where the death of Tony Stark apparently hangs over everything, it's one of those weird decisions where I need more insight to why she wanted to build an Iron Man suit. And you can't even like uh, wave away that this is a prototype. The prototype is always going to look like this because yada yada. When she gets to the main suit that she builds, and she straight up builds a red Iron suit, suit like Iron Man. So yeah. I'm like, I f- no, I feel that. I feel that. That 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 is definitely a valid um, a valid critique and. You know, I hope that they do retroactively address that. But within the confines of this movie, yeah, I think that, you know, uh, that definitely could have been handled better. Um, One thing that I wanted to uh, bring up that we haven't talked about yet is um, Nakia. Dude. Yeah. Dude, Lupita Nyong'o 
looking like an absolute fucking goddess in this film. Man, she, man, man. When she's in her, when she's in her underwater stealth suit, looking at the sunrise, and you're like looking at her from behind, I'm like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> when she's walking around in various sundresses with her abdomen all out, I'm like, ooh. Yeah, she ooh. uh she was she was flexing super hard uh on this movie from the look standpoint but even outside of one i love the fact that they finally were able to give her a chance to um utilize her her uh mexican heritage, her, her mexican heritage. <laughs> <laughs> when she started speaking spanish i'm like oh they finally did it oh uh, <laughs> but one of the reasons why i really love nakia in this movie is she really does feel like a spy like even more so than she ever did in the first movie i feel like i feel like in this movie her role the way that she infiltrates situations she ends up speaking french spanish she knows bits and pieces of uh talocan like i love the way that she was utilized at least from an offensive perspective in the movie and then the way that she plays into the story is I already loved what they were doing with her in the story. And then the mid credit scene happened and then it further elevated how much I love her being in this movie and what they decided to do with her in this movie. Um, we don't have to get to the mid credit scene just yet, but. Okay, cool. Wait. Well, like, yeah. speaking of Nakia, I think in a movie where you've lost your star, mm -hmm. the driving force of your film. I don't think there's a supporting cast stronger than the supporting cast for Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Straight up. Because, like, they all stepped up and were the main characters of their narratives. From mm -hmm. Okoye and her entire arc as General of the Dora Milaje, oh my who God. gets called out in one of my favorite Angela Bassett sequences of all time, where it's like, oh, this movie remembers the events of the last movie and how everyone reacted. Okay, this is brilliant to... Even fucking uh, Martin Freeman at his uh, at his Everett Ross and, and the narrative like uh, I guess uh, single white male character is like right. oh man this character the, the, the weird art he goes on is slightly problematic for the for the movie in itself because right. it's like it feels the most Age of Ultron of this where Marvel put another movie's plot in the middle of this movie but I think that is if I had any gripe with this movie and it's not even anything that really like. I don't like about the movie, but it's more of like a if I had a gripe, it's the fact that this stuff with um, Martin Free, but the stuff with Everett Ross and Valentina is the most the movie ever feels like, oh, we got to build towards some phase five shit like that's the most the movie ever feels like that. And they get not a bunch of time, but enough time where it's like, OK, like, you know. I, I'm in. I, I love seeing Julia Louis Dreyfus. I love seeing Martin Freeman. You know their rapport is great, but I'm kind of like, mm. yeah. Well, when the two of them in the same room, it feels like a different show. But I, I'm with you about it, it, how it, it feels in the context movie. Though I do enjoy because this is the most context we've ever gotten for who Valentina actually is and what True. her role in the Marvel universe actually is. So for all the like narrative like issues it causes with the film. It's mm -hmm. like, okay, I, now when I see this character, I know what she's about instead of she's showing up in a lot of things. And I have no idea what her game. She sent someone to murder Hawkeye, like, as a thing. Yeah, like, I knew that she, I just figured that she might be like a Amanda Waller type, but it is nice to finally have some clarity on, like, 
what her purpose is going forward. So yeah, I, I feel you on that. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Baku as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, Winston Duke. Winston Duke is one of those characters where he skirts a line of being like an amazing like garnish or like a fantastic meal or maybe a bit too much. And once again, uh-huh. this movie skirts the perfect line of when every time he shows up, he steals the scene. He's yep. fucking hilarious. But you still believe in that. Oh, this is the you giant. You bald-headed demon. <laughs> he comes in eating the carrot. <laughs> call back from the last movie when you said he was a vegetarian. Yeah, like, we should kill the fish. When you're like, we should kill the fish man. And he sees Namor, like, I'm gonna go kill the fish man. Yeah. And, Namor, <laughs> and Namor catches his blow and then breaks his armor. And he just sit there going, like, I have to reevaluate everything about my life after this. <laughs> Especially because after the fact, when they were talking about it, and he was like, this man might be as strong as the Hulk. Okay. <laughs> like, oh my God. No. I love Umbaku in this movie. I mean, I, I, I've always loved Umbaku, but like yeah. him in this movie, they they utilize him really well as a as a counterbalance to the tension of certain scenes where he really worked well as good comedic relief. But also I loved his role as um, kind of counsel, like he's trying to be wise counsel. Yes, he's the closest she will get to the influence her brother would have had in her life. For sure. Which I think is it's an inspired choice when they make that like pivot for how he's going to react to things going forward. I'm like, oh, this is really good. Uh, yeah. And like, honestly, I think it's even because when we were talking about like Shuri stepping in as the Black Panther and the way that, you know, people were like, oh, you know, I want it to be this person, this person, this person. I kind of like the fact that it's basically all but confirmed that Shuri, yes, is the Black Panther. But she's not the queen of of uh, Wakanda. It seems like Umbaku might be taking over. Well, that's okay. So we just are talking about ending stuff right now because I think we're actually sort of teetering into that. So like that's the weirdness of the movie's like first coda when he shows up out of the ship and like I challenge you because you can read it in multiple different ways. And I I have a sneaky suspicion it's Marvel hedging their bets on like okay what's the future of this franchise and these characters, especially Letitia Wright and everything going forward after that. Like because people have to accept that she's a new Black Panther because like movie was coming out was doing well. Guess what was trending? Recast Black Panther because a lot of people were just super angry that there is no T'Challa and wouldn't accept that. They made the decision based on their respect for their friend and iconography of that role in this universe. And I think the play, because like, I haven't seen enough of Winston Duke's character in like a role of leadership to like get the idea, oh, oh, he's the best thing for Wakanda at this time. They did a lot of work in this film to at least make that like transition make sense. Because like, sure, he's not queen because like this isn't a Jon Snow situation this is a I'm coming off some deep horrible things in my life that I haven't healed from so I need to go do that right so it very much feels like he's only holding the seat warm for the eventual rulers of Wakanda to return to the country when they need to I will say that because I yeah I think I think you're right but I think M'Baku is the most qualified for the job because he's the only one of the central characters, at least, that's that didn't betray them in the last movie. That, but also he's the only one that's held office. Like, you know, like he is the leader of his tribe. You know, like he knows at least what it's like to 
preside over people in some way, shape, or form. At least we see, because the other council el- elders are the elders and leaders of their tribes. They're all just subscribed to, under the banner of the Panther tribe and the King Queen of Wakanda. Right, right, yeah. So the el- like, so the we we wow, we talked a lot about this movie's plot. The climax of the movie is the Wakandans versus the people of Talokan, uh, Namor versus Shuri as the new Black Panther, mm-hmm. uh, in a big fight in water, which a lot of people question, was this the smartest play you could have made? I think the plan makes sense and it's fine. The only thing that doesn't make sense is maybe you don't make your boat just a boat. Maybe you make it a boat that can, you know, fly if you think I'm the only person who can fly. That's my only critique about the plan. Otherwise, it makes perfect sense. But yeah. it ends with a fight between Shuri and Namor in the middle, mm. in, not in the middle of the desert, at the edge of a desert, yeah. where it's an incredibly brutal fight. Yes. In which people are impaled, diced, and burnt alive. And Shuri, still fueled by her rage and anger, gets Namor on his last legs after he says, in. Uh, uh, ancient Aztec dialogue, Imperious Rex. Yeah, I was the only person in my theater who fucking pumped his fist up like fucking guts. They fucking put it in the movie, dude. This is my Namor. I was the only one too, and I was disappointed by that. I was like, none of y'all, like not one of y'all. To be fair, and this is not an indictment, but I was in a theater full of black people. I don't think mm. they were excited about Namor. So I don't think they're reading the the best Namor books at the time and know that's his catchphrase. But the funny thing is, I was in a theater with significantly less black people because I live in Los Angeles <laughs> and like still no one. And I'm like, wow, like it, it one, it kind of put into perspective how few people actually know who Namor is. But yeah. also I was just like, damn, well, at least at least I got a kick out of it. Like it was it felt like an if you know, you know, moment. You know, yeah, yeah. So like, Shuri has Namor. Like, she's burnt him alive, and he's <laughs> he's dying. If he doesn't get the water, and she has that beautiful moment where Ramonda comes to her to the spirit world and says those words: "Show them who you are." And I'm like, ooh, the ooh, the it's poetry. It rhymes bullshit. It's so fucking strong. Yeah, and she spares him, similar to how. Chala spared Zemo after Zemo murdered his father. And you get this moment where, like, she's like, I'm going to spare you, turn off the attack, and I will protect you. Yeah. And it creates this dynamic where throughout this entire movie, the uh, CIA and uh, United States blame Wakanda for various telecon attacks because Wakanda is the only people with vibranium and everything's involving vibranium. And the telecons are pretty much told Wakanda, if you, if you say anything about us, <laughs> we are going to attack you. So, yep. No one knows about the people who live under the sea except for the Wakandans. So Shuri pretty much at the end of the movie is if you turn back, if you don't interfere with anything, you go back to where you come, we will protect you. We will keep your secrets. It will be our, our duty. Namor agrees to that. They end the fighting. Everyone moves on onwards. We get a really interesting scene, which I think is fantastic, which I think is like, this is Ryan Coogler in his like geopolitical bag right here, where like Namora, who I think is really underused in this movie, I agree. Uh, shows up and she's like, Namor, I was ready to fight and die for you. What the fuck are you doing? He's like, baby girl, listen. <laughs> no one knows about us. People want to destroy Wakanda. Wakanda has no allies. Yep. Eventually, they're going to need us. And that's when we're going to have the power to do what we want to do. I'm fucking 500 years old. I am prepared to wait. And I'm like, oh, fucking Namor. 
they were so fucking good. Uh, yeah. Playing the long game. That boy smooth. Yeah, boy smooth. So, Namor, that, that's how we end things with Atlantis, uh, Talakan. Uh, Everett Ross is a criminal now, which I want to see how that plays into the yeah. secret invasion, which I know he's in. Uh, and then Shuri goes to <laughs> Haiti to go be with Nakia, and who, who earlier invited her to come live in Haiti with her as she grieved for the loss of her brother. And we get the most emotionally manipulated thing this movie could have ever done, which is so fucking good, is that Nakia has, uh, to multiple people, says, there's something I want to show you in Haiti. There's something I want to show you in Haiti. She says that to multiple characters. And we finally get there. Shuri finally agrees. We get this beautiful, silent montage of Coward Bowman appearances in the Black Panther films. And I'm like, oh my God, it's so heartbreaking. And then you get this moment where Nakia shows up and she's brought this little black child named Tucson to Shuri and reveals who looks exactly like Chadwick Boseman, like weirdly like Chadwick Boseman. Reveals to her that this is her nephew, Prince Chala, son of King Chala. And it's it's actually a callback to a sequence from the last movie where one of the things uh, the Chaka told Chala is the best thing a parent can do is to prepare their children for their passing. Yep. And so Chadwick was one of us in the uh, sorry. Charlotte was one of us aware of his child, his son. His son was actually pretty okay with the idea of his dad being dead. So you can tell how strong and probably how good that relationship was where his son is already passing the grieving period, especially at that young of an age and yeah. moving forward with his life. And he's like, when Wakanda is ready, he will come to them as their prince. But for right now, he's going to be a normal kid. And he's going to bring... Which... Oh, I loved that so much because... For multiple reasons. On one hand, um, to me, this is the perfect answer to recast T'Challa. Like, because I all my biggest problem with that whole movement is the idea that we could just swap out. Like, I understand that T'Challa is important to and and that T'Challa deserves to have more time as the Black Panther. At the same time. I I don't want them to ant viv Chadwick Boseman. You know what I there, mean? There like is a very yeah, there is a very capitalist like, oh, the person who made this movie died. The movie is more important than him. We are going to recast and nothing's going to change. Like I there is something exactly. very like cynically capitalist about that that I'm not necessarily a fan of. Yeah, I didn't I, I didn't want that. Like it's not the same as like Cheadle taking over for um why am I forgetting his name? Terrence Howard. Terrence Howard for uh for Rhodey, where we barely knew Rhodey. So by that point, it's like, cool, we got another actor. Like replacing Chadwick at this point would feel, to me at least, wrong. So yeah. we were able to now T'Challa lives on through his son. And in its own beautiful way, Prince T'Challa will show up in Wakanda in this off-field way in the in, in, he'll get a chance to have his first time in wakanda almost directly parallel to um killmonger's first time in wakanda where he came and he's like i'm gonna take this over but he had this deep resentment already there whereas prince t'challa will be able to go and just be welcomed yeah and it will be a joyous occasion he's going to get what killmonger was promised before his father died where like one day his father would take him to wakanda yep. and he'd see how magical this is this is the kid who knows everything about Wakanda. Is growing up knowing he's a king. Uh, he's going to be a future king. 
and he's <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't do that because there's an actual character named Kang. Uh, but <laughs> and he's gonna show the Wakanda. It's gonna be beautiful. But let, but that opens and, up. Well, real quick, the other thing I love is by the way that they handled it, it gives T'Challa more agency in his death. Yes, because it wasn't that he just got taken and it was a surprise and he was you know gone. It was like he set things up. He made sure that things were accounted for. He made sure that if he didn't survive what was ever happening to him. Exactly. He made sure that his mother met his son. He made sure that there were things in place. I'm sure that if he would have survived a little longer, he would have made sure that Shuri met young T'Challa. So I love the fact that that gave um, T'Challa this last bit of like kingliness like i am going to make sure that everything's okay before i leave the best i can we gonna be all right exactly exactly and that opens up what the future is for the black panther and this franchise and its place in the marvel universe now the whole valentina de fontaine stuff pretty much indicates to me that they're moving towards a wakanda versus america conflict over vibranium which with her connection to thunderbolts Indicates that that might be what that movie is about, considering it looks like she's a And if that's the case, I have some questions because Bucky is on that team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then what's going to be a Black Panther 3? And is Coogler emotionally ready to jump back into the saddle? Or are we going to get a, I, I'm done, uh, find someone else, Kevin? And that's the type of situation. And Kevin's got a try and find someone who isn't just following in Coogler's shadow? I think that Black Panther 3 is far enough away that I think Coogler, barring any, you know, just grand burnout. Being asked to direct a certain Avengers movie, maybe. Right. I feel like he'll, I think, I think he'll be back. Because um, I feel like he's, uh, as we said, he's carved out this like amazing corner of the MCU and he's, you know, presiding over whatever world of Wakanda shows that we get and stuff like that. So I think he's going to take a break. Well deserved, you know, but I think he'll be back for three at the very least. I think he'll be back for three. As for what three is, depending on when it comes out. I'm willing to I'm willing to bet. That there might be a little, uh, little Lavaria action. Okay, so that's, okay, so, okay. Now, I talked about earlier Lake Bell, and that's an interesting casting choice. Lake Bell, if you don't know, is one of the most prolific sort of actresses, actresses in Hollywood where like, oh, that's just Lake Bell. She's a big enough name that I'm like, oh, when I saw her cast in this role, she must be playing a character. Early leaks from this movie were like, oh, she's playing Lucia Von Bardis, and there's going to be a Latveria like, uh, section of this movie. Like, Latveria mm. is going to be the group orchestrating everything in the background. The conflict, per se. So, lo and behold, she shows up and she's, like, this no-name character and there's no, like, real post-credit sequence to, like, indicate where the franchise is really going in the future, which I think is the movie's credit because this movie's so emotional that that would have been yeah. taking you out of the experience if they're like, well, here's a, sec- here's a joke at the end of the movie after you just cried for the 15th time. But... <laughs> It's interesting because Black Panther has kept a very country-based scope. So I'm like, a Doom story would work, but then we have to wait for whatever the Fantastic Four is. And I mean, I'm pretty sure, though, that like, because 
where Doom fits into the future is going to be very interesting because I'm almost certain that we're going to get probably like a mole man or or uh, or maybe a psycho man yeah, or something. We're not going to get Doom movie one Fantastic Four. They failed twice already. No, we're not going to make that mistake. Marvel's not going to make that mistake. Right. So it would be very interesting if the first bits of Latveria we got weren't tied to the Fantastic Four directly. Like, I think that that would be interesting, but I'm not sure if they'll do it just because of people's. Well, actually, no, never mind, because Feige has been pretty, pretty good with like, we're going to remix this however we may feel like is the best for the story in the universe at hand. Yeah. So I could see Latveria show up first, divorced from Fantastic Four. Yeah, I see two routes you can go for this. There's the third movie is just going to be a U.S. versus Wakanda conflict. And we're going to finally have it out. If that's not had out in another movie, it's going to be the plot of the next one. I can't figure out what villain you want to use for that. It could be Thunderbolt Ross as the Red Hulk if you want to be really dumb because the new rumors that Snake casted Harrison Ford as the new Thunderbolt Good Ross old Harrison Ford. Is that he might be the president of the United States in the current Marvel Universe, which is interesting. Uh, t- Timeline-wise, Black Panther Wakanda Forever takes place in 2026, <laughs> well, which is okay. Or they could... I know there's a minor Black Panther va- villain that in the context of Black Panther and you want black villains who like, where you can really play with the racial allegory of what these characters mean. Like there's a character named Moses Magnum, whose whole thing is creating Earth. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it could be a good villain that if like a Coogler could make into a, oh, this is a compelling ass villain I can do stuff with. Or if you do Latveria as the third movie, I don't think you do Doom so much as I think Hmm. you do a Lucia Bombardis uh, or you do, you fuck around with a Christoph Vernard or something, or a Victor, like any other Doctor Doom character, and you use this movie to remove Latveria's leader, so you can then slide Doom in, and this is how he takes control. Ah. So you can still have the Doom down his luck character who's built himself into the dictator character instead of, oh, I've just, he's always been in charge of this world. That's, that's, a, that's a fantastic idea. Uh, if they want to, like, show their hand with, oh, hey, here's Latveria, guys. Let's learn more about Latveria, but not jump to the Doom wagon just yet. I think that that actually would be a really good way to have their cake and eat it, too. I think I'm I'm kind of hoping that's where they go now. Um, I think that'd be pretty great, especially because, you know, Marvel, for the most part, has uh, operated in trilogies for their single characters. And so, you know, if they decide to, like, at least just book in the first trilogy with uh, Latveria. I think that'd be a great way to like bookend the first section of uh, Black Panther. I think that'd be great. And the most interesting villain, now I'm thinking about it, that they could use if they're going for the U.S. Western route. So Bucky is known as the White Wolf, which mm-hmm. is a role in the Black Panther comics that was given to T'Challa's adopted white brother. Yeah, I say you take that character and you make him the face of the villainous United States as someone who's been scorned by Wakanda at the time. You also make him T'Chaka's adopted brother and not T'Challa's yeah, adopted brother. Okay. Gonna deal with, and so you have this older white character who knows everything about Wakanda, who's the new expert in the world where Everoth is in control. And, and would know where the vibranium is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. Look at you. We got, we got, we got two really good uh potential future options there um but yeah uh do you have any like 
other uh, things to say about the movie? Any closing statements? Uh, not so much. I haven't really expressed on this podcast beyond just like, I don't think I've thought about the Marvel movie this phase as much as I've thought about Black Panther Wakanda forever. I think it is, and this is me, this is, I want to make this clear, this is divorced from me being an African-American male and what this movie means to people who look like me in regards to representation. This is just in terms of the way this movie is emotionally constructed that I just think about every aspect of it. And I was like, of just how it affects me and how I feel about it. And then you get to what it means in the real world with like the death of Chadwick and this movie being dedicated in his honor and how well it does of putting to rest this character that he gave life to while not handicapping the world and allowing the world to live on without him, which is like the, what we as people in the world without Chadwick are going to have to live through. Like, I remember watching 42 mm. in a theater, looking at Chadwick Boseman and saying, that's Black Panther. Mm. And then three to four years later, the casting call comes out and I'm like, fucking nailed it. And like, how... <laughs> how emotionally devastating it was for me as a person, especially like Black Panther was never one of my favorite characters, but like Chadwick Boseman did such a fucking fantastic job with that character that like I felt that connection I never really felt from the character in the comics. I finally felt for the first time and I was mm. like, this character is special. This actor is special. I can't wait to see what's going And for everything to get tragically cut short, it's, it's there have been few celebrity deaths that really emotionally like gutted me as a person. Chadwick's is one of them, and this movie is such a fantastic love letter to him and for him by the people who love him. Yeah, yeah, well said. Um, I'm I'm right there with you on that. Uh, I I think that this movie is absolutely gorgeous and a and a really a really a testament to everybody involved, skill and professionalism and acumen, but also their ability to persevere um, because. The fact that this movie even came out as a miracle. And on top of that, the fact that it's so good. Yeah, like, like, that, like I said, this movie had no right to be as good. Like, this is one of those rare movies when you see those trailers and you see that first trailer with We Gonna Be All Right. And they're like, this movie can't be as good as this fucking trailer. And the movie is actually <laughs> as good as this trailer. And they're like, there's in, in no world can, like, you're Ryan Coogler. You directed one of the Marvel's biggest movies. They ask you to come back. You and Chadwick are chopping it up. I, right, what are we going to do next? And then you lose your actor. And now you have to rejigger your entire script around the fact that you no longer have this character. And the fact that he was able to succeed is astounding. In a world where, let's be frank, there are two movies that came out in like a three-week period with the word black in the front of it. And like, we are... <laughs> we are... One for two on someone <laughs> on 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 someone succeeding. It's like it shouldn't happen. <laughs> Black out of catches strays. Um, but no, you you're right. I I love I love this movie. I love that Kugler was not only able to make a touching and poignant tribute to his friend and one of the greatest actors that we'll ever have. Um, just for me as an actor, as well as a black man, uh, I was also gutted by Chadwick leaving us because like, there was always a part of me, especially after seeing him in 42, just like you. We were, that, we, I will clear this up. I didn't want to mention it, but I saw the movie with Marcus. <laughs> so it was like, yeah, we were in the same theater. <laughs> we were in the same theater. <laughs> 
It was the same show. The, the exact same showing right next to each other. We were sitting next to each other. It was a date. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize, mom. We went to see it during work when we were working together. Well, cat's out the bag. Cat's out the bag. Here in LA, she can't do anything to you. I, re- I remember seeing him and just wanting so much, so badly to meet him one day and thank him. You know, even if I never got to work with him, I wanted to meet him and shake his hand and thank him um, for being this just like living black history module, you know. So I was gutted by him going. But the fact that Kugler was able to do that, make this poignant tribute, but then also make a movie that bigs up another culture. You know, after the success of Black Panther one. They could have just continued on that train and that still would have been cool. But the fact that they said, all right, here's what we got. Come get some of this pie, y'all. And like they brought up another group of people who have been underrepresented. Dude. Yeah. The NFU has not had strong uh, Latinx representation, period. We got America, uh, America Chavez last movie. And mm-hmm. like whether how you feel about her is debatable. Uh, but like it hasn't had a strong figure. And then Namor came out and Talocan came out and like the amount of like Latinx people, Hispanic people that I just heard just like be like, fucking yes, dude. Fucking yes, this is how it feels. I'm like, oh, dude. And like, I'm gonna throw shade at another Marvel movie that we all love. This uh, is one of the things I talked about in our, in our text between me and Marcus is that this movie does a better version of what Shang-Chi tries to do at the end of its movie with uh, its mysterious... Asian utopia in the middle of the mountains with Talokan and it's below the American border aesthetic than it does and like like I said shout out to the creative team the art team the screenwriter the director the casting people about everything the fact that they were able to make the whole Namor's people are blue thing yes like such a like we're like when they're in when they're on land and not breathing water they're blue because they don't have the oxygen in their in their blood. But when they're in the water, they just look like a swath of brown faces. And it's so fucking beautiful. It's also beautiful, the blueness, because technically also they're ghosts. Like, they died. So, like, even metaphorically, the blue works for the way that they passed on from this plane of existence. So that's, yeah, that's all freaking fantastic. Um. But yeah, shout out to Coogler. Also, I didn't say this. Shout out to Ludwig because yes. this score 100%. is fucking phenomenal. Like, he won an Oscar for Black Panther 1 score, and that was great, but this is better. So he had better get at least nominated for his work on this because he outdid himself. And Rihanna better be at the fucking Academy Awards performing that fucking song because there's never been a movie made for the movie song. That hit me as emotionally hard as Rihanna. Got Rihanna out of the goddamn retirement. She doesn't need to. She got that Fenty money, but he got her out of retirement yep. to drop the absolute banger. Oh my god! Yeah, and you, and you know how important uh, Ludwig is to the franchise. That when like they're sitting there, it's Leticia Wright, it's uh, it's Lupita Youngo, it's it's a uh, Tenacueta and Ryan Cooler. Ludwig is sitting right next to him. So it's like, that's how mm-hmm. important he is to this franchise. And shout out to him putting putting this, I'm assuming, young a white man of German descent for putting, putting Africa on the scene for the culture. Ludwig is their real life uh, Everett Ross. 
<laughs> Our favorite colonizer. Oh, a colonizer in chains. Now I have seen everything. Um, but I want to close it by saying, like, I generally don't always want to be like, oh, this should be an Oscar contender and everything like that. But we were already talking about how we feel like this movie is better than the first uh, Black Panther and that got nominated for an Oscar. I feel like if there's ever been a Marvel movie that is deserving of a Best Picture nomination, it's this one. Yes. I think this deserves Best uh, Picture nomination. I think that Coogler, for the Herculean effort of making sure this movie comes out and is good in the yeah. face of tragedy, he deserves a Best Director nod. Yeah, Angela Bassett deserves through the Best Supporting Actors. Uh, yep. Uh, I think Louis for Score. Yeah. I think this film, like, from like, People are going to argue about the semantics of it being a superhero film, but like this is a movie that if you take out the superhero nonsense of it and you just like focus on the emotional storytelling that was going on, it is a better film than most Oscar-nominated films out there. And yeah, this is, this is from a guy who loves the King's Speech, right? <laughs> so like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's thematically rich and it deserves all the flowers. So yeah, um, that's pretty much all we got. You know, we we over here at least. Between Avery and I, because unfortunately, I don't think most of the rest of uh, Press X has seen it yet. Um, I think Jordan's seen it, but Jordan uh, has seen it. Uh, Sean will see it probably this time this week. DJ currently is in Paris right now at at the time of the recording. That's the reason why he didn't see it. He probably would have been on this podcast recording it with us at this point if he had. But unfortunately, he's out of the country in France for some godforsaken reason. Uh, But yeah. It was nice to uh, to sit down and get these thoughts out there in regards to and get these out in a timely manner for you all, so you can hear how, how we feel about this movie. Absolutely. Well, at least a small subsection, because tr- trust me, you're going to hear how how everyone else feels about this movie the next time they show up on the podcast. Yeah, exactly. But I'm glad that we got to do this too. Um, so yeah, from uh, your homies at Press X, we loved this movie. Big love to Ryan Coogler and the entire cast and crew of Wakanda Forever. Thank you for everything that you have done. And yeah, um, I think that's a wrap. Yeah, this movie's going to make a billion dollars and it's going to fucking deserve every cent of it. Why? Well, I am a little worried because it's not coming out in China, so it might not make a billion dollars. But there are lots of black people who see this movie more than once. I will. Yes. 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 Absolutely. Hi, everyone. Goodbye. Peace. In this great future, you can't forget your past. So dry your tears, I say.